Praise God. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 56. So I invite you guys to join me in Isaiah 56. And here's some, there's some exciting, um, some exciting things happening as we, as we work our way through Isaiah. If you remember when we started, I mentioned that the whole point, the picture of Isaiah, what's being accomplished in the book of Isaiah, the 66 chapters that represent uh, uh, 66 books. It kind of tells us the whole story of God's redemption of man in the book of Isaiah. It's exciting, exciting study. But here's the reality. Isaiah and the Word of God challenges us with God's um, desire for man. Uh, the easiest way to put it, Jesus said it like this, uh, be perfect as I am perfect. The, this is the Father's de- declaration. Now, Anybody who's honest will say, that's going to be hard. Not saying that's not worth doing. I'm not saying we don't pursue. But I'm saying we should recognize there's, there's a requirement of God I can't meet. And that's how Isaiah starts. And we go through five chapters of woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. What's wrong with you guys? You're messing up, right? The, the problem, the, the frailty of the children of Israel And then in chapter 6, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and we discover the answer for how can you be perfect. Isaiah saw the Lord, and he said, Oh, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Uh, I'm the same as the people I've been warning. I know the requirement, but I fall short. And I don't know how to overcome my... My failures. It's not self-will that's going to accomplish it. I, I'm, I'm stuck in this place. And so what does God do? He tells us how he's going to deliver us. He takes a coal from the altar, touches Isaiah's lips and says, Your sins are forgiven. You're purged. It doesn't stop there. Your sins are forgiven. And then God empowers Isaiah to then be his witness to the people. Right? He says, go, tell them. They're not going to listen. Go show them they don't, they don't really have eyes to see. They need to have this moment that you and I have had in Isaiah 6, that people need that. And so the book of Isaiah tells us that story. It tells us about God's call to the people, trust me, trust me, trust me. Their struggle being able to do it, they fall short, right? God's requirement is simple, perfection. So they fall short that they're not going to make it on their own willpower. And then we run into Isaiah, really, from, from 40 through, through 55. And we go, wow, look at the beauty of the grace of God as he is going to provide for his people. Not only forgiveness, but empowerment. Right? Isaiah 55 was all about empowerment. No, you come to me for everything you are missing. You're thirsty and hungry, but you can't satisfy yourself. So you come to me, and I'll give you what you need. And then as we, as we move now in Isaiah chapter 56, as we come to 56 now, <clears throat> chapter 56 to 66 is a section of Scripture that's going to primarily focus on the idea that Now that we've experienced Isaiah 53, the call of Isaiah 55, we've seen God's provision of grace and 
and, 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 and his salvation and his transformation, right? We've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. That's what the word of God declares. So then from 56 on, our lives transform too. We don't get to justify our sin by saying, well, God saved me, so I'm going to wallow in the mud. Rather, we say, no, God saved me. I want to become who he sees me as. Because I love him. That becomes the motivation. It's not, I'm going to keep the law or I'm going to follow these rules or these ideas so that, so that I can somehow earn something I, I, I can't earn. But rather, it becomes a response of love. Because of what he's done for me, I want to please him. I want to please him by how I live. What I do with my life. And that's Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 is this call. It's this call to say, look, <clears throat> you have seen a vision of God. That's been laid out for us from chapter 7 to 39. And you've received the same forgiveness and deliverance. We saw that from 40 to 55. So now what's he saying? Now you're enabled to live the way God wants you to live. Now you can walk a victorious life. You can have victory through Christ. That's 56 to 66. And as you are transformed, as you become the man or woman God wants you to be, you become a witness to him. Which is how it all started in the first place, right? If we, if we look at the whole story of the redemption of man, we have the fall, corruption, and rebellion of man. First 11 chapters of Genesis. And then you have... You have man broken. Man, man needs something. And then in Deuteronomy 32, God writes man off. God says, look, you guys are all messed up. And you're all following these other gods. So he, in, in, uh, in Isaiah 30, or I'm sorry, in Deuteronomy 32, 8, he says, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to let you all go. And I'm going to draw my own special people from out of the midst of the nations I'm going to draw my own special people and I'm going to show, I'm going to reveal who I am through them. And the first one was Abram, right? Abram, who did what? Who believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness, right? So that's the beginning. And then God, God's progressive revelation is God is introducing the world to him through his people and their walk. And their struggles and their failures. And you have the story of Hosea and all these things that dictate to us the love of God for his people and his willingness to redeem and reach out and, and, and change them. And all the while God's saying, I'm going to provide through my people a light to the rest of the nations. The same nations that he said, okay, you guys are fallen. I need to pull out a group so I can show myself to you through them. And ultimately, the final word that God has to say about his self-revelation, the final word God the Father has to say about his revelation, according to the book of Hebrews, is through his Son. So whatever God had to say, he finished saying it when, when Jesus came. Jesus is the final revelation. This is it. That's all there is. He has finished what he has begun so the message that we see throughout all of that is this concept that there is only one God. There is only one Savior. And the whole world needs to know Him. And Isaiah is telling us this. 
And he's laying out this idea that the grace of God is free. Isaiah 55, right? The grace of God is free. Come, oh, come all you who are thirsty. Come, come and buy without money. Come and take the provision that God has provided. But when we receive it, then we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There's a transformation that takes place so that we are not conf- we're not conformed to the image of the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're transformed by the power of God. Now, I know you guys can't tell, but I can tell that I'm not the person I was when Jesus saved me. <clears throat> and I know I'm not the person I will be, but I also know that I am on a journey of life to become more like Him every day. I want to love like He loves. I want to respond like He responds to rebellion and the hatred of God in the world. I want to be a right reflection of Him, including His holiness, including His righteousness, all the above. I want all of that, and it's all found in the same place. It's all found in Him. The ability to, to watch our lives change, right? Now, you know, I often think it's, it's hard to see change when we're looking close at it. I, we got a new puppy. You guys heard about it. We have a new puppy. And, and when I, the new, it's hard for me to tell. Is it growing or not growing? Because it's had some health problems. And so trying to, to reconcile all that. It's hard to see growth when you're standing right there, right? You know what I'm saying? But when you get a little distance... You know, when I get a little distance, I stand in my life and I look and I say, man, once upon a time, thank you, Jesus, that I'm not who I was. And thank you that you're making me who I will be. That's all through him. It's all. And that's what Isaiah 56 has come to proclaim. It's come to proclaim to us. Look, you have chosen, you have received the servant of Isaiah 53 as our sin offering, right? Paul would write it like this. He who knew no sin became our sin sacrifice so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus Christ, we we have received that. We've received that thing from God, but that's not the end. That's That's why Isaiah doesn't stop at 55 and we all stay on the high. Isaiah goes on from 56 to 66 to call us to righteous living. Follow me. Follow me, but God's not calling. It's not an endless cycle because, because in the Old Testament, there's this endless cycle of the failure of Israel over and over and over again, right? But it's not that endless cycle of failure now because you're empowered. Whatever is necessary for us to be the men and women we need to be, God has provided through His Son by the power of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the scripture tells in Ephesians chapter 4 that, that Jesus Christ gave gifts to men. And he lays out the, the giftings. He talks about apostles, right? Prophets. He talks about evangelists and pastors and teachers. He says these are gifts that, that Jesus gave to the church that are all functioning in ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be, we can see the things that change that we want to see in our life. 
the, you have it. You have it already. And this is what he wants us to, to recognize. He wants us to understand. And so in, in chapter 56, he begins with this idea. It's not about genealogy. It's not about who your daddy was. It's not about what people you were born in that marks the servants of God. What marks someone who is reflecting the, the righteousness of God is not a birthright. But it is obedience. It is obedience. Look what he says. Isaiah 56.1 Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. So in this verse you have what is called a causal construction. Meaning something causes this idea. The idea of keep justice and do righteousness. Why? Well that word for, hoti, in the, we look at it, that word for, that word for is because. Why am I doing this? Because my salvation will soon come. And my righteousness will be revealed. And he's referring to, to Jesus Christ. That is his salvation and that is his righteousness. So we've seen the prophecy of it in Isaiah 53. We've seen the invitation to receive it in Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 56 he's saying, now listen. Keep justice and do righteousness. This is the response of the life looking for that salvation from the Lord and His righteousness to be, to be lived out in our life. Because God is the only one who can do it. You can't do it. Yes, you can try and you should try and you should. Obviously, we want to walk in holiness and righteousness and be obedient to God's Word. But you need to recognize before the first step that you need God's empowerment to accomplish it. Otherwise, it just becomes a source of pride for you. And you stop measuring yourself by the stature of Christ, and you start measuring yourself by the stature of your neighbor. You start looking and say, well, I'm better than that. I'm doing better than this. And what we need to recognize, it's a work that God does. He's the only one who can do it. And so I need to submit myself and allow God to do that work in my life. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah, the people could not produce what God required. So God made a way. So God made a way. God produced what was necessary by means of His righteousness, by means of His servant. He provided. Isaiah 56 verse 2 says, Blessed is a man who does this. Blessed is a man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast. Now I think he's describing what it is to keep justice and do righteousness. Keep justice and do righteousness. Oh, how happy is a man who who does it. And the son of man who holds fast to it. Who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it. And who keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now it causes a lot of questions for me. One specific, one general. Weird. Why? What's he, what's he describing for us? The blessed per- person manifests an attitude that is expressed in two behaviors. Not profaning the Sabbath. And being, keeping your hand from evil. Not profaning the Sabbath. Keeping your hand from evil. 
worship and obedience. Two behaviors that mark the person who is oh so happy, who is trusting in the salvation of the, of the Lord. Blessed is a man who does this. When we keep the Sabbath, there's a certain things that we want to hold on to and comprehend. Keeping of the Sabbath was proclaiming two things. God, Yahweh, is my creator. And God, Yahweh, is my savior. When the, when the Sabbath is talked about, Genesis 2, 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in what? Creation. That's what it says. It's describing God as creator. Exodus twenty eleven. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The proclamation, keeping the Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath, was setting aside the, that day and acknowledging that God is my creator. That God is my savior. That he's my maker and he's my redeemer. It was entering into that period of rest wherein man would cease from all his labor. Don't miss that point. This is the point that Isaiah is making. Don't profane the Sabbath. You need to enter into that day of rest where man rests from how much? All his labor. All. Look, the, the, the celebration, if you will, of, of the Sabbath was a worship. It was a worship for God as my Creator and my Savior. It was a worship of God saying, He's my rest. He's my rest. I, I recognize I can't do this, but I also recognize who can. God is is able to do it. God is the one to whom I will look. So I want to keep the Sabbath. We're going to develop that idea in a moment a little bit more. But as we enter into worship of a God who is our creator and our savior, only then do you know the difference between good and evil. You don't know it. Don't make me tell the old parable again. You guys have heard it a hundred times, right? A hundred times you've heard that you don't know the difference between good and evil. We all make snap judgments, right? And we say, that's bad. But we don't really know. And we make snap judgments. That's good. <clears throat> but we don't really know. Maybe, you know, somebody wins a lottery and we all think, wow, what? that's it. That's the blessing of God. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I know how to know good from evil. I worship my Creator and my Savior because I am not declaring my independence from the God who knows right from wrong to say I can do a better job. That was the fall of man in Genesis. Nor will I be corrupted by the wisdom of the angels, which was the corruption of man in Genesis 6. Nor will I step out in the rebellion of man who says we will not have God rule over us, which was the rebellion that goes all the way through to chapter 11. No, I, I am declaring my dependence on God. Holding fast to the Sabbath, worshiping uh, the God, my Creator and my Savior, as who He is, is what helps me understand. An expression of worship 
for the holy and true God issues forth in a life so that I love what he loves. I hate what he hates. I want what he wants. We're going to see in a moment the call is not going out. This call is not going to the <clears throat> to the Jew. He's going to, or or um, certainly not to to the one who would have been acceptable in their in their culture. We'll see in a moment. He's going to talk to the eunuch and the foreigner. He's going to call them both to do the same thing. So when we worship what is true, it's personal, right? I am, I am keeping or honoring God. I am keeping and honoring God. And that keeping and honoring God that I'm accomplishing by, by keeping, not profaning a Sabbath. That which I am doing with Him empowers me to be in His presence so I understand what's good, what's not. You don't get it from your degree. I didn't get it from my degree. There's not something magical that happened when a guy signed a piece of paper and handed it to me. Something magical didn't take place, didn't translate righteousness from that page. But as I bow the knee to my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, as I submit myself wholly and completely to what He's doing, something does happen. I want to be like him. I want, to, I want to love how he loves. When we have arguments and disagreements here at Calvary Chapel Buell, here's, here's how we settle it. Well, what, what does Jesus want? That's what matters. What does Jesus want? How would Jesus love that person or, or minister to that person? And that's the challenge for us to find. That's, it's not about... What do the what do nine out of ten psychiatrists say we should do? Or or you know what does Justin Peterson say we should do? I like Justin Peterson, but you know, come on. What does Jesus say? That if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we must be led by the Spirit. Allowing God to do this work. In and through us. Now, every time we talk about the Sabbath, questions come up about the Sabbath. I'm going to try to really quickly answer a couple of those as we move on. I think the text answers it for us. But I just as a side, <clears throat> want to give you understanding. When we look at third century rabbinical teachings, in third century rabbinical teachings, this is what rabbis taught. There will be a day which will be all Sabbath. On which there will be no eating or drinking, but rather the righteousness or the righteous will sit down with crowns on their heads and be refreshed by the Shekinah, the glory of God. That's what they taught. They taught that the Sabbath was a picture of God's redemption of his people. And that there would come a day when all of his people would enter into their rest. In his presence. So we, we have this concept laid out. This very Jewish concept. Then when we come to scripture in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 8. It says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day. 
If they entered into rest through Joshua, they wouldn't need another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. That's the point, right? I rest from my work, my labor, and I rest in God's work. I rest in the fact that he said, it is finished. I rest in the fact that after six days of creation, God rested because the work was done. Was finished. And we see this same proclamation in the work of Christ. So verse 11 of Hebrews 4 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That rest of God so that no one may fall uh, by the same sort of disobedience. And you got time to go through the rest of Hebrews chapter 4, but yet the disobedience that they fell in was unbelief. What well, goes all the way back to Genesis 15. How, how was it that Abram was made righteous? He believed God and it was declared to him by the Father. He's declared righteous. Declared righteous through belief. We see in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. No one, let no one pass judgment on you in regard to what you eat or what you don't eat or with regard to what festivals you celebrate or the new moons. Those were feast days or Sabbaths, which were all part of feast days. What we, what we celebrate, what you don't celebrate, both counting as feast days and the weekly Sabbath, these are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is who? Who's our rest? Jesus, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Don't profane the Sabbath. How do I profane the Sabbath now as a... New Testament believer, I profane the Sabbath when I say I'm the one who can work out. I'm the one who can accomplish something that Jesus Christ has already done. What I need to do is rest in Him. Now, by the way, when I say rest in Christ, that doesn't mean sleep in front of the PlayStation. When I say rest in Christ, that I'm saying bow the knee to the Holy King who provided everything for you, has given you the power to live a holy life, and submit yourself to Him. And allow Him to do the work. He does the work. I rest from my labor and I walk in His. If I say, no, Lord, you, thank you for all you've done, but I got this now. I would submit that I'm profaning the Sabbath. I'm profaning my rest. So we want to be diligent to enter the rest that He has for us. So let's get back to Isaiah. And if you have questions, we can talk about it later on. But we get back to Isaiah 56. He's still building this idea, and I don't want you to miss it. He says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord. I don't want you to miss that phrase either. He did what? He joined himself to the Lord. That's a strange way of saying that, isn't it? He joined himself to the Lord. How did he do that? He responded to God's revelation. Do you understand that? 
He joined himself to the Lord. The Lord will surely separate me from his people. I'm not a Jew. I'm a foreigner, but I'm responding to the revelation of God that I see the light shining among the people that's to be a light to the Gentiles, and I'm coming. I'm coming, I'm responding to that, but I'm not, I'm not one of them. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. The eunuch, the Bible talks about three different types of eunuchs, but ultimately the idea of a eunuch is someone who was not able to have children, typically male. And the idea is that he's either made a eunuch, born a eunuch, or for whatever reason, never had a family. He says, let not the eunuch, let not the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. Let not the foreigner say, I'm not among God's people. That's God speaking. That's God speaking about, about people who are outside the covenant. And he's saying about those people who are outside the covenant, don't, the, the foreigner, don't say you're outside the covenant. Don't say you're outside the covenant because the covenant that God has revealed in Isaiah 53 and the, and the call to come in Isaiah 55 is for the world. And when you respond to it, God says, don't say you're not my people. Well, what if you're unclean? A eunuch couldn't worship. A eunuch couldn't be a part of temple worship. You're broken. You're broken. Anybody in Old Testament Scripture that was, that was outwardly broken so that you could see they had spot or wrinkle, they were not a perfect sacrifice, you can't come. You've got to stay outside. And we think, oh, what a harsh God. No. Why are we so hard-headed? It has nothing to do with being a harsh God. What's God saying? You can tell there's something wrong with them. But there's something wrong with you too. Who boast in your circumcision, but have a heart so hard, God's got to be willing to change it before anything can happen in your life. You can see the brokenness on somebody else long before you can see the brokenness on you. But listen to what God's saying to the eunuch, the broken one. The one who who wouldn't be allowed to be a part of the feast days. He's saying, oh, don't say you're a dry tree. Because I'm going to give you a family. You can't have one. I'll give you one. I'm going to give you a posterity. He's going to describe that to us. He's saying, look, the outcast can find a home. There is limitless grace in the God upon whom we seek. We talked about it last time when we talked about Isaiah 55. I'm not going to go back. If you got time, grab the tape and take a listen. But the idea is God was frustrated with people who sought him only for what he could do. That's why he said in Scripture, no man seeks after God. We have all kinds of examples throughout the Old Testament of people seeking after God. Somebody go get the high priest. Tell him to bring the ephod. <clears throat> and ask God what we should do. That happens over and over and over and over and over again. So that can't be what God's talking about. What God's saying is, you guys are just looking for me. I'm rubbing the lamp, getting an answer from a genie, but you don't want me. No one seeks after me. So when he calls him, he says, if you seek for me, you will find me. Because that's the heart that God's looking for. 
You seek me, you will find me. Seek the Lord, Isaiah 55, 6, while he might be found. Call upon him while he is near. (coughs) God's revelation makes him near. He also is saying the outcast finds a home when they turn from their wicked ways. When they turn from their wicked thoughts. And Isaiah 55, 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, (coughs) that he, the Lord, may have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will, what? Abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. Man, that's Isaiah 6 all over. And so this person, this outcast, finds a home in the grace of God. When they turn from their wicked ways and thoughts, they turn from their wicked ways to God's ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Higher than the heavens are the difference between my ways and your ways. We want to turn from our way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. We don't know. We need Him. We need His way. We need His thoughts. And these people who do this, the outcasts who do this, will be included no matter what. Whether they're a eunuch or they're not. Verse 4, For thus says the Lord, Speaking to the eunuchs. To the eunuchs who, again, keep my Sabbath. He's going to describe it. Who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. These eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. This is all hammered with personal pronouns. My Sabbath, he says. My, the things that please me. They hold fast to my covenant. These eunuchs have a relationship with God. Why do they keep the Sabbath? Because they are the Lord's. Why do they choose what pleases Him? Because they want to please Him. They want to honor Him. Why do they hold fast to my covenant? Because they love what you love. They hate what you hate. They want what you want. This is the call of God to his people that you would know me, know me, and be faithful to me. Know me, know what it is God wants. So he's calling the eunuch, the eunuch who could not worship, the eunuch who was not a part of of temple life in any way, shape, or form. He's saying to the eunuch, hey, rest in my provision. Do what pleases me. Hold fast to my promise. This is the call that he's laying out. And what will he do? Verse 5, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than your sons and daughters. The eunuch doesn't have any sons and daughters, right? God's saying, you're going to find more in me, in this relationship with me, than you would with family. I'm going to be your family. I'm going to be your home. Think about the rab- what the rabbis taught. There will be a Sabbath. There will be a day when all God's people will sit in God's presence. <clears throat> and they'll celebrate the Shekinah, the glory of God in His presence. They will rest from their labor and they'll see that God has provided a way. What's he declaring here to the eunuch? 
I make a way. Look, there was no way apart from God. The eunuch couldn't get in. The foreigner, a Gentile, could get as far as the Gentile courts. A eunuch couldn't even get that far. Stay out. Stay out, but God's saying, no, I've made a way. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. I love this because God says, I'm going to remember your name. The thing about a eunuch is a eunuch would die, and who remembers him? His children don't carry on his name, or his kids' kids, or his great-grandkids. I mean, I'm blessed to have a son who carries my name, and a son who had a son who also carries my name. So, so there's this idea that my name goes on, right? But the, but the eunuch didn't have that. God says, oh no, you got an everlasting name, man. I will not forget you. Who would you rather be remembered by? Man, he says, I, I won't forget you. I will remember you. I will give them an everlasting name. It will not be cut off. You are mine. And then he says, and to the foreigners, <coughs> again, who join themselves to the Lord, who respond to the revelation of God, to the revelation of God's plans and purposes. Why did he respond to the Lord? He tells us. Look, and to the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, for what purpose? To minister to Him. To who? To God. To minister to God. To love Him, the name of the Lord. To love the name of the Lord. And to be His servants. This is why they've joined themselves. This is why the foreigner joined himself to the Lord. He joined himself to the Lord because he wants to minister to God. Look, I promise you, God loved me when not one person in this room would have loved me. I guarantee it. God was there. God was there giving grace to someone who did not deserve grace, who had not done anything to say, well, maybe he's going to change. No, none of that was in my life. I was, it was, all I had sitting in front of me was death. That was it. And God sat in a single wide trailer in Midway Park, North Carolina and whispered my name. So I'm going to serve him till I die. Not because I have to. Not because his word commands it. I'm going to do it because I love the one who loved me first. I love the one who gave himself for me. He never had to do anything for me. Never had to, but he did. So I love his name. His name matters more to me than my name. Or my family name, or the name of this church. It's about his name. It's about honoring his name. So I come to God, I respond to God. We respond to the Lord because he loved me first. It's not the other way around. I seek the Lord not because I just randomly began to seek the Lord. He sought me first. He sought me and he bought me. And my response is how I live. And the call of Isaiah 56 kind of reminds me of Saving Private Ryan. You guys remember that movie? 
And they get to the end and all those people who had died to save that guy. And all they could say to him was what? Live worthy. And all that word means is of equal value to the sacrifice that saved you. And it's not a response to earn something from God. I've already got everything. It's a response of love. If you know, if you know what we're talking about, then you want to do it. You want to do it because God loves you. Look what it's interesting because look what he says to the foreigner. He lays out to the foreigner, he says, um, um, uh, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it. The same phrase. The same phrase to the foreigner. It's the only place, the only place in Scripture where you have a call to the foreigner to keep the Sabbath. No other place. This is it. Keep the Sabbath. Enter into the rest that God has for you. Cease from your labor. Rest in Him. Stop trying to make yourself holy and rest in the holiness that he provides. Stop trying to make yourself righteous. Stop trying to make yourself all of those things. Rest in his power. He's already given it to you. You have it. Rest in him, in his strength, in his power, in his might, in his spirit. I've seen what mine does. Mine does nothing good. Paul even declared to the people, there is nothing good in my flesh. How many things? Nothing. There's nothing good. Rest from your labor, because he has provided. Enter into the rest. Hebrews 4 is talking about. Enter in. The substance is Christ. Be clothed in him. Honor His Sabbath, His rest. Come unto Him. Keep that Sabbath. Do not profane it. And He holds fast to my covenant. His covenant, the Lord's covenant. Man, we're hold fast to that covenant because that's how I'm saved. The Mosaic covenant brought no salvation. Nobody was ever saved by the law. He's talking here about the covenant we read about in Isaiah 53. We were invited to in Isaiah 55. And now he's saying, hold fast. These I will bring to my holy mountain. Who? The foreigner. The eunuch. I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Foreigner could not come to the altar. There was an outer court. That's as far as you can go. This close, but no closer. Don't you understand if you're laboring for for your salvation or for your holiness or for your righteousness, you're walking in the court that says this far, no further. And the scripture would declare the best you can do is filthy rags. Or you can enter into the rest that Christ has. And now there's no wall. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. You understand what that is? The scripture is declaring that you can stand before the throne of Almighty God. 
You can enter into the Holy of Holies. You can come before His presence. Why? Because you are in Christ Jesus. It's not this far and no further. To come all the way. Come. He says, you're going to come. You're going to bring sacrifices, burn offerings <coughs> on my altar. Listen. For my house shall be called the house of prayer for who? All people. Not exclusive. Inclusive. Isaiah 56 follows Isaiah 55 for a reason. The call to keep justice and walk in righteousness. To experience all that God has for us. To recognize the the challenge that he gives out to us. Look, the covenant of, of God... The Mosaic Covenant of God was breached every time. For crying out loud, Moses didn't even get the Ten Commandments down off the mountain before it was broke the first time, right? That covenant, the Lord would declare that you broke over and over and over again. Paul would declare that covenant can't save. That covenant shows we need a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? Therefore, every living person is invited to become a partaker in what God has provided. Before we can become the servants of God and do the things God wants us to do, we have to come to His servant who did the work already. And we bow our knee before the servant who bore my iniquity who died for my sin, who's able to purge me like Isaiah, but not only purge me to empower me, to now live for him. They never had that before. We have that now. So we rest in Christ. We're empowered by Christ. And every day, we want to be a step closer, right? And every day, a step closer to him. Not further away, closer, a step holier, a step more righteous. Because Christ has empowered me to walk. His commandments are his enablements. Come. Come, I'll give you rest. I did it. I'll empower you. Let me empower you. Walk worthy. There's only one way to do it. We put on Christ, we rest in Christ, we get empowered by Christ, and one day, like the rabbi said, one day, the Lord's going to call us home. We'll have a face-to-face with Jesus. I am in both ways um, excited about and terrified by. And then the Bible says that we're all going to fall on our face. And we're going to cast our crowns at his feet. Revelation chapter 5. Cast our crowns. We say, anything I received from the life I lived was not me. It was you. I know who I am. Anything I did, righteous, holy, in obedience to you was because of your empowerment. 
what an exciting day to actually all inclusively the whole body of Christ, all believers to be together on the great Shabbat. When, when our rest will be final. I look forward to that. I get tired of the battle. But until then, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.